time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Whoa, goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. Oh, he played. Oh, he's going to hurt the up the right sideline. He's got to go. He's tackled. Sam Houston wins it. The Bearcats capture their first FCS championship. Today's episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. Welcome, everyone, to the Republic of Football. I'm your host, Shahan J. Raja, the college football insider at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find all of our work at texasfootball.com. You can find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us on Twitter at DCTFCFB. And you can become a subscriber at texasfootball.com slash subscribe. Well, we got Ishmael Johnson over there. We, we have to do this over Zoom for the first time in a little while. Ish, what's up with that? <laughs> My bad, man. <laughs> on the road for a bit. <laughs> well listen i guess i got my uh my time away last week right so uh yeah th- thankfully i did make it to new mexico i did make del paso and i did make it all the way back 2200 miles and all but nice. whew, it's good to be home it's good to be home <laughs> <laughs> oh man what are you up to this week uh i'll be going to nashville as uh early i guess bright and early tomorrow uh thursday when if for anybody listening uh yeah I'll be there till for about about four or five days so man it should, be, it should be pretty fun yeah that sounds like a lot of fun well we got to start here okay your phoenix suns are in the nba finals oh man yes that is that is the uh i guess the the headline with my life right now <laughs> <laughs> and also winners of game one of the nba finals by the way as of today yes yes yeah it's been it's it's been kind of wild because, you know, when, when they first made the playoffs, you know, obviously hadn't been in, in 10 years. And, you know, last time I remember them was when I was graduating high school and it was kind of the summer heading into the LeBron free agency, that whole thing. And it kind of came out of nowhere. Um, you know, team, the team was pretty okay, but like Amari Stoudemire was kind of like, his name was in the trade deadline rumors with going to Cleveland with LeBron and, you know, he was going to be a free agent anyway. And then this playoff run comes out of nowhere. And then similar to that one, this one kind of came out of nowhere. Um, the team was really good all year, but you know, everybody picked them to lose in the first round of the Lakers. And then, Everybody, I don't say everybody picked them to lose. Everybody, obviously, they were a favorite against the Nuggets, but you know, they. Really, I don't think anybody expected them to sweep. Um, and then the Clippers, they are obviously favorites against the Clippers, but they were still kind of that scrappy team that wouldn't go away for most of the, the playoffs. And yeah, and all of a sudden you blink and they're in the finals, and it's 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 wild. I don't know. It's I'm <laughs> it still really hasn't clicked that they're playing for a championship. So. yeah i mean hey i'll tell you what it's good for all of us to be able to see all of us who are fans of trash franchises like the chicago bulls to be able to see that you know what this can happen in an instant you just got to get the right player just got to get the right guy uh you know you got to got to get somebody like chris paul who can teach devin booker how to play basketball he didn't know before that (laughs) right 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 deandre and how to be tall or something i I was about to say yeah he he taught he taught deandre and how to be a shot blocker and you know how to run (laughs) run the rim so it's all good you know one thing that i will say and then we'll move on from the nba is that it's It's been a lot of fun to see, I I guess the way that I'd phrase it is like teams that are good top to bottom, 
like mm, to really mm, see them mm. get rewarded because it's been so you know the past couple of years and the Warriors to be clear were extremely extremely one of those teams but like yeah I think that you know there was all this talk about the Nets there's all this talk about the super teams about the Lakers even and and like the teams that that have come through like don't get me wrong you've got the Bucks who have three all-star caliber players and you got the Suns who have you know three all-star caliber players too but like mm-hmm. it's really the seventh guy that's made such yeah. a big difference on this team it's the ninth guy it's Cameron Payne coming off the bench it's you know Pat Connington having good games like it's been a lot of fun to kind of see like not a move away from from superstars I'm not saying that by any means but kind of mm-hmm. getting to see these like these benches and stuff like that really feast no, 100%. I think that I was texting with one of my friends who's also a Suns fan last night and I was saying, like, we were saying how weird it is to have, like, a finals where, you know, obviously the stress is involved because our team's involved, but we just kind of, we were watching the game for a moment. We, like, watched the game from, like, a, a, a objective, as objective as we could be. Right, and we're just right. like, this is just fun. Like, we were just watching, like, yeah. you're watching two really good teams go at it. And even going back to the conference finals, right? Kawhi Leonard was knocked out, and so that made a, a kind of a, a, a hobbled Clippers team. And then you had Atlanta, and of course Atlanta has Trey Young, and then the Clippers had Paul George. But you you know you looked at it, and it was it was Reggie Jackson making shots. It was Morris going off. It was you know Zubac before he was out, he he was contributing in big ways. Uh, Pat Connaughton for the Bucks. Um, you look at you know the Hawks who were missing DeAndre Hunter and, and Cam Reddish for most of the series. It was Kevin Herter, John Collins, Clint Capella, right? Danilo Gallinari, these guys coming out of nowhere. And and like you mentioned, it was this fifth, sixth, seventh guy that were making just as big of an impact. Um, when Trey Young missed that game, you know, it was Lou Williams, right? In his first ever playoff start, which is wild because he's been to the postseason before. But, you know, it was him coming up big in, in his first starting role. Uh, I don't know. There was so much talk about, and I think rightfully so, you know, injuries. And I think cramming the season into into as, as many months as they did. I think there was obviously some negativity to that. And I think it was a discussion worth having, but I think there was also like this from like people who were like caping on behalf of the of the network saying like, oh, there's no big names or whatever, as if like that matters to your personal enjoyment of it. Right. Like I um, don't get tevin- the television revenue, right? Like right, I don't exactly. Get- I don't right. It's not my check going to, you know, ABC or Disney to have LeBron or whatever in the finals. But I think what you're seeing more is what you kind of mentioned is like in substitute of those things, you know, you get you get the fifth, sixth, seventh guy and you get more rounded teams because sure, last finals were interesting somewhat because, you, you know, you got to see LeBron and AD at the height of their game and AD kind of had a, a, an insane playoff run. But, you know, was it really that cool to see Contavious Caldwell Pope shoot 30% from the field or <laughs> Alex Caruso shoot 35%? Hey, and, man, you can't say that on this podcast. <laughs> I know, I know, right? I guess you got to stand Alex Caruso. But, but you know what I'm saying, where it's like you have two really good guys and everybody else is just a bunch of dudes. And with the heat, you know, you had like, but Jimmy Butler obviously doing what he did in the playoffs or in the finals last year and then kind of Tyler Harrow doing what he did but then it's like do you really want to see those other guys like shoot terribly from the field and I don't know it really does show that the league is a lot better than just hey let's get two good guys and hopefully win a title yeah yeah no question about it well Let's move on. We are a college football podcast. I guess we'll talk a little bit about that. And I do want to touch for one second on the new NIL laws that have come through in the last week or so. Uh, I, I got to say, 
I mean, I, I think all of us were kind of preparing for this, right, on July 1st when this opened up. But I think it's been really, really cool to just see the wide swath of athletes that have really stood up and kind of started making money off of this. Yeah, I, it's been, I mean, God, when the clock struck midnight, it felt like just the flood, the floodgates opened, right? <laughs> <laughs> Immediately. <laughs> yeah, no question about it. And for people who don't know, you know, it, look, it's the middle of July. I, I wouldn't be paying a ton of uh, attention to college football if I wasn't paid to do it too. But, um, you know, so July 1st was the first day that the NCAA and obviously a lot of laws around the country as well uh, made it legal for student athletes to profit off their name, image, and likeness. So what that means, it's basically the Olympic model. You know, you can, mm -hmm. you can get endorsements. You don't get paid directly by competing for Team USA, for example, but that, mean, that doesn't mean that you can't have an endorsement with Subway where you appear in a commercial or whatever, right? And so different states have kind of brought out different rules. There is a, a hilarious law in Georgia, for example, where the schools can reclaim 75% of your endorsement money in order to redistribute it to other athletes, which of course, no, no school is going to do because Georgia wants to get recruits, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, um, but, you know, so basically it's turned into, yeah, I mean, it's open season for endorsements. You can kind of sign with whatever. I, I mean, there are definitely some rules around it too. Important yeah. to note that you cannot use endorsements as basically uh, a way to recruit you can't sort right. of promise things if you get there but uh yeah i mean I, I think it's been really cool because there was all this talk that oh well it's just going to be spencer rattler and here king who both did very well mind you in the first mm -hmm. week of endorsements but uh but i think it's been really cool to see uh you know softball players to see you know, volleyball players to see obviously men's, women's basketball players to see uh, wrestlers. Even I, mm -hmm. I saw a few, you know, I mean, it, it's really been top to bottom. I think such a great thing. Yeah, no, I, I think it's been really cool to see like a lot of, you know, that, that was always the, the, the argument against it, right. It was, like, Oh, X, Y, and Z, these players aren't going to get it or these players aren't going to be, you know, as profitable or things like that. And it's like, that's not necessarily the case. And even when you do get it, even when you, you know, maybe some players' names aren't as profitable, you get guys like Derek King, right, who are pledging to donate, you know, uh, uh, their funds to players and teammates who don't have these sponsorship deals, right? And so, like, you, you're seeing kind of a natural communal support <laughs> um, among teammates. And I think that's really cool because I forgot who was it. Um, I think it was Arkansas. Arkansas, a barbecue place in Arkansas yeah. just sponsored the entire offensive line. And it's just yeah. like that, things like that, where it's like, oh, you wouldn't normally think an offensive lineman, right, is profitable for their name is profitable. But it's like, sure, maybe not in, you know, Joe Schmo center, but like the offensive line from Arkansas, that's brandable, right? Like you're going to get, you're going to get that way with when you get to any of these sports. And like you mentioned with wrestling and all that, you're going to get the, the, you know, the branding of the school is going to help the branding of the player as well, I think. Yeah, no question about it. And and I think, like you mentioned, the one that I always come back to is like Oklahoma State wrestling. Like, yeah, people don't really care about wrestling nationally. But guess sure. what? That doesn't matter if you can get a bag in Oklahoma, uh, at Oklahoma State, right? Oklahoma right. softball, even athletes that don't play in the state of Oklahoma, I'm sure, too. Yep. You know, uh, Tech State volleyball would be a great example, right? Like, that's, mm -hmm. a, that's a great volleyball program. And uh, and so, look, it doesn't mean that you have to go make $5 million, right? Like, even yes. even Derek King, who, you know, again, is, is arguably in football right now, one of the biggest stars in the entire sport, 
you know, he talked about on the first day that he signed deals that could net him up to $20,000. And that's a lot of money, right, for endorsements. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the point wasn't that he's going to make $10 million by people funneling him money, right? Like, actually, right. at the University of Miami as well, this uh, this one business pledged that any player on the Miami football team can come and get basically an endorsement deal if they ask for it. But it's only for about $6,000, which is a lot of money for a college student, right? But $6,000 they did not have. Right. And that's great for them. And it also does not mean that a kid's going to not choose Alabama because he can make 6,000 at Miami, you know? So I I think that in a lot of ways, I I think this has really gotten off to a really great start. I got to ask, Mm -hmm. is there one early deal that you looked at and thought, Oh man, that was cool. I, so there's a couple, um, yeah. I'm going to go with, so there's, I'm going to, I'm going to give three. One of them is kind of a, a big, a big one, two of them are lesser known. So one of them was when Spencer Rattler came out with his Raising Cane's endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that, I thought that was pretty sick. Um, I just, I looked at that and I was like, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I'm jealous of that now because he's probably has uh, a lot of good <laughs> Raising Cane's uh, deals coming his way. But uh, one of the ones, <laughs> a couple ones that were kind of, and it shows kind of the, the nebulous, um, uh, uh, attribute of kind of all of this uh matthew coughlin i don't know if you saw him he's the punt he's the kicker at michigan state mm. he sent out a tweet and oh it, i do know which one you're talking about you yeah. do, okay so uh so i'm reading from his twitter this is a paid tweet to tell you to listen to the locked on spartans podcast i've never listened to it but i'm sure it's not terrible <laughs> and he just got a deal to tweet out <laughs> for this michigan state podcast which is great like i love that and then a lot of the hosts in the pot in the mentions are like wow thank you so much for your co-. you know like obviously they paid him but <laughs> it was like it was like oh wow thank you so much for this kind endorsement um another one that just dropped is did you see brock purdy's t-shirts yes i did brocktober for cyclone fanatic uh, welcome to Brocktober, and those are those are so dope. I love that it's no longer just like a college football meme with like Brock Purdy and Brocktober and like Iowa State being good and around that month or whatever. I love that. So yeah, good on him because he's uh, uh yeah, it's gonna be really cool. I don't know. He's he's obviously being able to benefit from kind of being a meme now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, one that I was gonna mention too that's in state is sincere mccormick teaming up also with a t-shirt company and i I love that right because the thing is too is that that also helps kind of create this connection between a player you know especially at a school like utsa right where look sincere mccormick's one of the best football players in america and we know it people at utsa know it people in in san antonio know it not everybody knows it right like not right like not all the national people kind of know it but guess what in that space of san antonio they've done a great job of just being like listen we're gonna hype you up right like you're our dude mm-hmm. like s- same deal like mason fine would have been a couple of and years I, I, ago, right? the, the shirt you're referring to by the way is the run 3mc shirt right yes run 3mc yes it's yeah because that's really awesome that's a really good uh, really good one yeah so i i just love all these ones i was definitely going to mention the arkansas one too where uh, <laughs> the offensive line all getting sponsored uh by a barbecue restaurant which is perfect i think john robinson's on uh, cameo now Yep, a lot of people getting on Cameo. I did not expect mm. Cameo to be kind of like the first winner of all of it. Yeah, I guess like I didn't. It's not that I didn't expect it. It's just something I just never thought of. 
right? Where yeah. it was like, oh, right, they could do something as simple as that. Like, again, it, it goes back to the kind of the whole malleability of the whole thing where it's like, you, you just assume you mean like, oh, the local car dealership can get you for a commercial, right? That's what you kind of just like naturally your mind goes right. to. But it's like, oh, no, yeah, you could give, you could, Bijan Robinson can charge 10 bucks or whatever he does for a birthday, you know, to wish somebody happy birthday. And like, it's just so simple. And it's like, yeah, sure, why not? Because again, if if two people do it, that's twenty bucks you didn't have before, and that's all on your name, and it's perfectly fine. Yeah, and look, there's going to be, <laughs> I'm sure, in the next couple of days and weeks and months, there's going to be some dumb stuff that comes out, of course, oh, yeah, because 100%. you know this is this is the the brave new world of all of it. But I really think that in these first couple of days, it, it's gone. I think as well as I think the first, expect. I think the first uh, heavy, I mean, quote unquote, heavy bar, uh, uh, lever to fell was Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, <laughs> it, his, yeah. his news just dropped. Yeah, it was an NFT with Phil Knight. For those of you that don't know, Phil Knight, Nike. That's why Oregon had all that cool stuff in the early 2010s, um, early aughts. Um, and that was the first, I think that was the first one where I saw like people were like, oh, what, you know, they kind of, it was like the slippery slope argument. I don't see that's right. a problem because Phil Knight's been pumping money into Oregon for as long as we can remember. Um, right. But, you know, that was the first one that kind of caused like, ooh, that's, that could change things. I don't think it will, but, you know, that's, I don't know. That, that was the first kind of like seismic deal. And it's, again, it's not like he's, it's not like he's like, he has his own shoe, right? He's just like, a, it's an NFT. And I don't know, like, again, Phil Knight with, with Orkin's not a surprising thing, but uh, I just thought it was interesting that like, you know, of course the marquee player for his team is going to have a sponsorship with him in some, well, in some way. And not just a marquee player, but like he was like the number one player in the nation coming right. out. He's of, gonna, he's uh, going to be like a top five draft pick, so. right? And uh, I, I will say though too. So it was a collaboration with Phil Knight. Did you know who did the actual drawing? Uh, I do not. It was Tinker Hatfield who made the Jordan. Really? Yeah, who made Jordans? So yeah, interesting. Listen, I mean, listen, again, hey, no, I mean, again <laughs> when, when you're when you're a top five player at Oregon, when your sponsor, when your your program is boosted up by Phil Knight, that's what can happen. <laughs> Right. Hey, guess what? If you are literally Kayvon Thibodeau, maybe right. it can make a difference. But <laughs> right. we don't have to overreact to all of this. But anyway, let's get into the meat of the show. So we are starting a new series. We're going to be previewing every team. We're going to do two a week. We're going to start. Uh, we're starting with Conference USA. So we're going to start with uh, with two teams that finished 12 and 11 in our preseason uh, college power poll. And we're starting at number 12 with the UTEP Miners. So Here's some things I'll say real quick about you, right? So mm -hmm. they are 12, but they're kind of almost 12 by default. Cause I do think, you know, uh, gosh, I always go back to 2018, my first year when I started here and <sighs> there were four teams in that bottom four that mm -hmm. were maybe bottom seven teams in America, right? Like yeah, yeah. UTEP was the worst. Uh, UTSA was down there. Texas state, sorry, mm -hmm. was down there. Yeah. And, uh, and rice, Th those were like, bottom seven teams in america and heading into this year i mean listen not to give away too much of the magazine which you should pick up at textfootball.com subscribe but like we have them competing for a bowl game right and they're mm -hmm. the worst team in the state that's that's kind of what we're at right now yeah i so you know you kind of want to show you kind of want to talk about how we're gonna do this formatting wise we're gonna ask a couple we're basically to not overlap with what we have in the magazine, because obviously we go through all these teams in the magazine, we preview players and, and breakout stars and things like that. We kind of want to 
I guess I don't know. Get more, get more into the nitty gritty. I guess you can probably yeah find a way to put yeah. it. Yeah, I mean the magazine is very much like an overview, right? Sure, it's sure. It's like over. here, here, here's he's like you're talking about the offense. Here are the receivers they have coming back. Here are their returning stats, things like that. Maybe an overarching uh, uh, narrative surrounding the offense. Uh, with these, we're gonna kind of go into a little bit more of the. A little bit more into the weeds a little bit as far as like right. questions we personally have questions or uh, strengths that we may see at the team and kind of with that structure instead of like we might not talk about you know every offensive lineman like we would try to mention <laughs> returning or something but we would talk about how the scheme changing would affect what they have coming back is per se so yeah and l- let's get right into it ish you got a yeah. question for me Yes, I do. Is it possible? Actually, no, no, I was, I was going to try to phrase it a different way, but I'll just keep it the same way. Is it possible that UTEP has a worse record than last year and still is a much better football team? I think absolutely not. And the reason that I say that is because you have four games in your first five games mm-hmm. that I think that not only can you win, but I kind of think you better win in gear four. Mm. Mm. You know, you've got those games, New Mexico State, New Mexico, two rebuilding teams. Uh, You've got the game against Bethune-Cokeman, which, listen, if we're having to talk about that game, boy, things have gone real wrong, right? And then the other thing, too, is that you open up against Old Dominion in Conference USA, who not only has a new coach in Ricky Ronnie, who was the former offensive coordinator at Penn State, Mm -hmm. uh, but also didn't play football last year. So, If you can't start with three, like you should get Mm -hmm. to four. I think you need to win all four of those games. But if you can't get to at least three, that's – I don't see a world where this team is better than last season Mm -hmm. and doesn't at least win three of those, if not four. Sure. I think that's that's completely fair. The one thing I will say is that you looked at the the opening four. After that – Sure. It gets, no, it goes to your point, right? It goes to your point of like, okay, well, those four, you should be, you know, obviously I think Bethune-Cookman should be a win. New Mexico State hopefully is a win. I think that is a, a toss-up game, but still one that you should, you know, it's, it's relative home field. I mean, you know, Las Cruces rivalry game, whatever. But, um, and then you look at New Mexico and Old Dominion. After that, you get really dicey. Southern Miss, you know, we'll see what Southern Miss has. You know, we mentioned their kind of turmoil before. But I'll look at uh, per SP plus reject projections. They have no likely wins. And that includes Bethune-Cookman. <laughs> a likely win is a 65% or higher. And again, you know, take all these with a grain of salt. Football that is very field. rude. You did not. Right, exactly. <laughs> right. I was about to say. Um, Bethune-Cookman is literally 64%. Um <laughs> And again, that's not their, that's not to say that they're not favored. Obviously, they're favored to win. New Mexico State, they're also favored to win, but those are in his terms relative toss-ups, right? They don't yeah, they don't yeah. quite get the threat the threshold. Um, the other question I have before you get to yours, because I just had two for you, Tip, is can this style of offense, because they're obviously they're doubling down on it with this, with their new hires at offensive coordinator, um, can this style of offense win? if their defense regresses. And I don't think it can. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I think that 
like you mentioned, on offense, we saw some vision last year. We saw some mm-hmm. good concepts. And I think that, especially talent-wise, offensively, I, I mean, I think they're going to be in a different place, right? Like, I think that mm-hmm. uh, I, I think that with another year uh, with a quarterback in Gavin Hardison who did some good things last year, I think they've got – I mean, listen, I, I go back again to 2018-2019. This was not a team that had a unit that I think could play on another team in the state of Texas. Sure. Well, sure. their running backs are legitimately very good, and yeah. I think a lot of them could play other places. And the question now, I think, is, is certainly going to come down to next Jake Cowing and Justin Garrett at receiver, then mm-hmm. what? Right. That's the next question. Um, so I think I, I think that you're right. I understand what you're saying of like, if they play this style, can they win with, with regression on defense, which I expect some regression on defense. They do bring a lot back, but I, I mean, it's just going to be a little bit of a new system. It's going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, a play caller who hasn't called plays in a very long time. So mm-hmm. I think that they will be about the same, if not slightly worse. But I do think that this offense can get more explosive. It hasn't, but I think it can. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's so weird to, to kind of have to speculate on this, but we kind of have to, you know, with the Dave Warner hire, he obviously they're doubling down on this style, right? They want to be able to control games. They want to be able to have the, obviously focus on the backfield, focus on the offensive line, but then go to the air when they need to. So of course you bring in a guy in Dave Warner who has a history of doing that at Michigan state. Um, I just wonder if, Again, it it goes down to like the next guys, right? It's not about necessarily their their starting caliber skill positions, but it goes down to the guys below them. And it, I, I don't know. I'm 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 the big question to me is there's a reason why these kind of offenses aren't populating populating the league, <laughs> the, the the country yeah. anymore. Oh, so. no question, no question. Well. One guy that I will mention, and uh, and we do mention him in the magazine, is Tyron Smith is, is a receiver who's coming in from the JUCO ranks who mm. they think could potentially be pretty explosive. I, I think that it does come down to having that third guy, right? Like, sure. I think if you can get to three, you feel pretty okay about it. And we saw some of that last year with Devon Cooper, who's gone now. Uh, but, you know, if you can get to three, then I think you feel pretty good. But that this actually feeds into my first question. And uh, it is the eternal struggle of of uh, our podcast of UTEP football. So uh is Gavin Hardison good? <laughs> oh man, that's the first time in 21 we're asking that question. Um will not be the last. <laughs> no. Oh man. Yeah. Um I mean I think it shows how many times we've asked that question, how <laughs> how much it changes week to week because one day you'll be like, ah, they found it. They've unlocked Gavin Hardison. And then the next he'll just throw 45% and you're like, oh, they've lost Gavin Hardison. <laughs> um, I guess the question is just a big shrug. I, we, we don't know. But the good news is, you know, full off season, right? Luckily, when he when they made a new coordinator hire, they had him in by, the, by, by spring. So, you know, it wasn't like last year where they're kind of having to do things on the fly and, and you know, makes me wonder how... how Makes me wonder if like that played a part in like him holding on to those coordinators for a while last year, sure. and kind of the whole the whole off season how that just weirdly went. Um, so I don't know. I, I he looked obviously in tw- in twenty nineteen. I don't think I thought that UTEP had a starting quarterback on the roster. Um, and again, he was on the roster in twenty nineteen. So I think it's a right. it's a credit to his improvement that I'm not as sold 
on they don't have a starting caliber quarterback on the roster. I think he could improve to be somebody that they can depend on. Um, and he's also young enough, right? He's, he's still a sophomore. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and so here's what I'll say, right? So yeah. you mentioned the coordinator changes and, and I'll talk for a second about the offensive coordinator change. Mm-hmm. So Dave Warner, for people who don't know, has a background at Michigan State. That's where he came up. He was there forever under Mark D'Antonio. And look, the flip side of that is when he took over that Michigan State offense, that's, you remember those years when we were like, oh my gosh, this team is unwatchable. Those were, those were the Dave Warner years <laughs> yeah. at offensive coordinator, right? right. But here's, here's the one thing I'll say is that before that, when he was just a quarterback's coach, he was just quarterback's coach, and then he got promoted to offensive coordinator, and it did not go well. Mm -hmm. But when he was quarterback's coach, right, you did see him develop Kirk Cousins and Brian Hoyer and Connor Mm -hmm. Cook, right? So three NFL quarterbacks. And so here's, here's the question. So this is still Dana Dimmel's offense, and he's still the play caller. He still generally coordinates it. And so talking to Dana Dimmel, his thought process on this is, which which I feel like is somewhat compelling, is that, look, Dave Warner, you're here to make Gavin Hardison better. That's mm. why you are here. You're not here to deal with all the big picture stuff. You're here to focus on the quarterbacks. And the one thing that I will say is that it is very concerning to me that their second string quarterback is Calvin Brownholds, because I think you need to do better than that. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but, you know, I, I think that Hardison showed last year that it really is about consistency, right? It really is about game in and game out, completing. I'm not saying he has to complete a lot more than 60% of his passes, but if he can get to 59% completion, right? Mm-hmm. If he can be a guy who hits on some of those deep shots more consistently, because he has a big arm. Right. And and I think the big thing too, right, is, is that you look at that offense. Deion Hankins is a star at running back. Well, Jacob Cowing's your other best player. And you need to, he needs to be over that thousand yard mark, not getting him over the thousand yard mark, I think would be a huge disappointment in 2021. Yeah. So I do see the vision on it. And I think that that is going to be something that we're going to figure out very early is, Hey, you know, Dave Warner, you came in here with one job. You literally have one job, right? <laughs> and, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's to make Gavin Hardison into a consistent football player. I'm curious to see if he can do it. Yeah. I think that, I like that you mentioned his, his his arm strength because we you mentioned when he connected, the ball looked good, right? Every single time he connected, it looked good. The problem was connecting, right? He he really did not have the accuracy on those deep balls to warrant the amount of shots they took. Um, but again, when you have guys on the outside that are as talented as they have, that's what you want to do. And so I think what they see is you have a big armed quarterback and explosive receivers and you see the thing to fix is instead of making those receivers come in short or maybe you know have an offense tailored around maybe a shorter game or things like that you want to be able to get the most out of their best attributes and if the thing to fix is Gavin Hardison's accuracy on those deep shots okay then bring in somebody who can do that because you know the thing about those Michigan State quarterbacks is sure they weren't very risky but when they did take shots they looked good right Kirk Cousins, Brian Hoyer, those when Michigan State did decide to come out of its shell in those offenses and not run the ball 40 times, they had a decent deep ball that kept defenses honest. And you're hoping a fraction of that translates over. 
Right. And I think that the other thing, too, is that those offenses were pretty pro style, obviously. And so mm-hmm, sure. a big part of that. And I think I think one of the things that we take for granted as people watching college football is I, I think one of the toughest things to do in college football and, and as a quarterback is the intermediate passing game. You know, mm-hmm. throwing screens is easy enough. Throwing deep shots is mostly just about receivers winning one on ones. Right. And that's stuff that you practice all the time. That's stuff that you rep all the time. It's really hard to simulate intermediate passing. Yeah. And I think that we saw with Gavin Hardison last year, it was either boom or bust. It was either screens or shots. And the intermediate is where you improve your completion percentage from. I don't remember what he was at, but like 54% or whatever to 62% and keep mm-hmm. moving the ball forward. And so I think that's one thing too, where if I can see him hit Justin Garrett on some of those underneath routes, for example, right? That's, I think that's a game changer for this entire offense and really for this entire program in a lot of ways. And I hate being the guy who's, who's like, oh, they just need better quarterback play and then everything will be better. But like, <laughs> that's going to be a big part of it, right? Right. No, I was about to say, it's like, and it's, it's interesting because it's going to be one of those, um, uh, seasons where that's kind of the case for a lot of these teams because we're kind of having we talked about how we're having kind of that that page turning season <laughs> and that's going to be a question for a lot of these teams but I think especially in a in a in this case where you clearly see the one position that needs to be upgraded not in terms of like getting a different player but just needs to be the play needs to be upgraded and you realize how much hinges on that especially in a situation where you mentioned UTEP needs to win now. Right, right. All right, let's do one more question on UTEP. Ish, hit me. Ooh. All right. After those four games, where does another win come? <laughs> so, I do think that there are opportunities. So, so yes. let's just let's just go through the schedule real quick. Mm-hmm. So, like you mentioned, you start at New Mexico State, Bethune Cookman, at Boise State. That's obviously an L. New Mexico and Old Dominion. So that's, that's the five. That's where I think you have to get at least three and really you should get four. Sure. Then you go at Southern Miss, which I think is winnable. It's not a lock by any means, but I think that's a very winnable game. Louisiana Tech at home. That's a tough game, but Mm I, I, you know, I mean, and, and listen, we're not, we're not Louisiana Tech people. I don't know how much they built up from last season because last year was a very, inconsistent difficult year for them after winning 10 games for the first time in program history so Mm. you'd expect that they'd bounce back a little bit so i'd still assume that that's a loss but i don't think that that's like a crazy game like you look last year it was a 21 17 game on the road Mm -hmm. so you know i'm not saying that they're gonna win i'm not even saying it's winnable but I, i think that there's a chance there for them to make it interesting uh at fau i think that's gonna be a pretty tough game utsa that's bad uh at North Texas, listen. If uh, if the pandemic's over and if uh, if our boy Gavin got vaccinated, hopefully uh, that's a little bit of a better game than what was last year. Because last year, for people who don't remember, uh, it ended up being a 46-43 game at North Texas, and uh, and Gavin Hardison had to miss the game because of COVID protocols, right? And so, mm-hmm. you think that maybe with Gavin Hardison healthy and if they're able to kind of be a little bit further along, that's not a, an impossible game. Now. Listen, we'll get to North Texas on the next episode. And they, they, oh boy, they better not be at that level, right? They better be a seven, eight win team. But like for UTEP, I think you can look at that game and feel like that's one that we can make interesting. Uh, Rice at home, that's, I think, a very interesting game. And again, we'll get into Rice in just a second. 
mm-hmm. and then at UAB is going to probably be very bad. So I look at that, right? So, so we have four winnable games in those first five. I'll go at Southern Miss is winnable at Louisiana Tech or versus Louisiana Tech being interesting at North Texas, not being impossible and versus Rice. So I'll say that there are eight games that they could conceivably win. Now, again, it'll be more like five or four, but Mm -hmm. I I think that there are eight games that should be very competitive that aren't surefire losses. Right. I think the one problem that I see is that they only really get, they really only get two of those at home. Definitely. Two of those toss-ups. You know, you mentioned Rice, and I would – well, geez. I, oh, yeah, LaTeX. I'd, I'd throw LaTeX in that, too. Um, and that's kind of it. For sure. And I think that that's they, – they got the wrong draw of the of the home field slate this year. Um, if some of those were flipped, then, you know, maybe you'd look at those a little bit different. But, yeah, I don't know. That was my big question when I looked at their schedule. was like, oh, man, if they – because, like, again, you always want to have kind of rooms for slip-ups. But – you know, it's kind of if they don't get those those games in the beginning, then they're all of a sudden they're already on the back burner. You know, so it starts to get a little bit more pressing pressing for for them. So, yeah, yeah, no question about it. Well, make sure and pick up Dave Campbell's Tex Football Magazine, textfootball.com slash subscribe to get our full UTEP breakdown. We obviously do five pages. I do the vast majority of that. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's like three thousand words. Please. I promise you it is worth $12 for all of my entire March and April being a disaster. So please, I'm telling you, textfootball.com slash subscribe. So let's move on to the Rice Owls. One of the weirdest teams <laughs> had one of the weirdest seasons in America last season. Uh, they have several, several, several games canceled. And mm-hmm. how many games? They ended up playing five games total. They went two and three. Uh, among the losses were losses to Middle Tennessee and uh, and UAB, along with North Texas, which that North Texas game was not good. Also, they beat Southern Miss 30 to 6 and sure. they blanked Marshall 20 mm-hmm. to 0. Undefeated yep. Marshall, they beat 20 to 0 on the road. Yeah, you know, why so, <laughs> just, a, just a totally bizarre year. Now they're going to go in uh, with a 12 game season next year, but then they open at Arkansas versus Houston at Texas. So I'll start this time. Yeah. They have a new offensive coordinator in Marcus Tuyasasopo after former offensive coordinator, Jerry Mack left to go take the running backs job at Tennessee. Mm-hmm. So what should we expect and what should we make of this new hire? Mm. Yeah. It's interesting because one, it was it was a weird hire. Like, oh, didn't know he was coaching. Um, right. <laughs> when you when you, I remember when you brought up the name Mark Tuiasasopo, I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. I did not know he was a he was a head coach. But um, one, I think it's obviously doubling down on what Bloomgren knows, which is that more conservative is the wrong word, but. Obviously, they want to dictate the tempo of the game, right? They're not going to. It, it's very much in line with the Stanford credentials, um, yes. which is what they showed last year. And I think it – I don't know – I'm really afraid about some of their skill talent on offense. Sure. Um, 
I think without, especially now without Austin Trammell, who kind of had an explosion of a half season last year, I don't know if this kind of scheme will. And it, again, this is more just experience as far as I'm concerned. But I think this might be a rough year on that side of the ball because I don't think their talent matches what they want to do. And just for people who don't know, so Marcus Tuyas Asopo uh, obviously played in the NFL for, for eight years. And Cal when he came, coach, right? So, so last year he was a Cal tight ends coach, but for people yeah. who, who kind of don't know his background, he actually was primarily under Steve Sarkeesian at mm, uh, Washington okay. and at USC. Now mm. this is, this is pre Alabama Steve Sarkeesian, right? This right. is more this is very much a West coast right. uh, Pete Carroll old uh, uh, early 2000s USC. Right. But the one thing that I'll say with that is that I do expect them to be a lot more aggressive in the passing game. I, I expect mm-hmm. them to, uh, you know, and, and not that they weren't right, but they have very much been in a different way, a ball right. control team, right? Sure. They have been a, we're going to run the ball well, which they're still going to do. They're still going to do it at a high level, but, uh, but certainly I expect them to go down the field a little bit more. Like you mentioned, I expect them to use that quick passing game, that West coast passing game a little bit more. Um, and, and I think you're right, you know, and, and actually another question that I had down, which will kind of just uh, blend into this is like, mm-hmm. so Bradley Rosner last year did not play at wide receiver. And mm-hmm. we named him to our all Texas college team. Cause he was awesome in the season that he played, <laughs> of course, uh, you know, what's fair to expect from him. Cause you know, before he was able to kind of play off of Austin Trammell, well, this year he doesn't get to, you know, what's kind of fair to expect from him. And, and you kind of see anybody else who's ready to step up. Yeah, man, I, I I think it's fair to put a decent amount of expect, expectation on him because, yeah, I don't see anybody else immediately. I mean, really on the offense as a whole, like, I'm, you know, you just mentioned Brad Rosner on the receiving core, but I'm, I'm kind of looking at, you know, on the backfield, I'm kind of looking at quarterback. And, and I mean, a lot of what I like about Rice is on defense, and I don't sure. really see where they look to and so I think it's it's fairly reasonable to put a lot of expectation on the guy where on the guy we we at least somewhat expect to produce at a high level. Um, you know, again, we can talk about him coming off injury and all that, but yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable. Let's just put it that way to expect big things from him because he's one of the only known commodities that we have that they have. Right. And, and some other guys that they do have coming back, they have Jake Bailey coming back. Uh, mm-hmm. One guy who I think is, it's a really big deal that he's coming back is their tight end. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, Jordan Myers is, is mm-hmm. the guy at tight end who has kind of been a do everything player for them. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is no guarantee by any means that guys are just able to step up, that they're able to be explosive, that they're able to run this kind of West Coast passing game that really does require some pretty dynamic receivers to get open. Mm-hmm. It, and it's going to be tough. And the other thing, too, that you say is that last year, you know, they had a lot of guys play on the offensive line, and they have some young guys who they are very optimistic about, that they think sure. in a couple of years on the offensive line, this line is going to be really good. But you still look at it, and it's mostly Shea Baker right? Who's had experience and, you know, so it's going to be a lot to ask, I think. Yeah, I think so. Um, to go to one of my, to go to one of my questions, because kind of, because they had a change of offensive coordinator and because a lot of their question marks on that side of the ball. Um, I'm curious if 
similar to UTEP, but I think they showed a little bit better uh, and more development in this regard last year. They want to obviously focus on tempo. They were better at controlling games defensively. When their defense did click, it really was impressive what they were able to do. Um, obviously, the, the Marshall game kind of comes to mind uh, first and foremost. When the defense was really clicking and they were really being aggressive, they were able to just basically sit on the game offensively and not make mistakes and win a game. Um, and that was kind of the the story of like all their wins, really. Like their their offense was fine, but their best performances and their best moments came when they really were able to take control of games defensively. Um, do you think their defense is going to be good enough to do that again? I think that the defense is going to be good enough to keep them competitive in most games. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you mentioned you have some really good players who have been there for a little while. You know, guys like uh, like Antonio Montero, right? I mean, he's mm-hmm. been there for a very long time. Treshawn Chamberlain was a guy who I believe was on our All Texas College team, and you know, so they've got a lot of guys and. Again, I, I don't think that we can ignore how well this team has recruited over the past couple of years, right? Like this is, again, I mean, when this class that just came in and the class right before it, when they are juniors and seniors, I, I think this is going to be a really special unit. Uh, sure. You know, one guy who, who I'll mention who was kind of a late riser, DJ Arkansas coming in to this program mm-hmm. at linebacker. Mm-hmm. From uh, you know, Dan that, Right. That dude's just a winner, right? Like that, I, I believe he was a uh, MVP defensive MVP of the state title game, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, on a, on a defense with some freaking dudes. By yeah, the right, way. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, they've done a good job. And I think on the defensive line, they have some really good players coming back. I'll, I'll point to Elijah Garcia as being a guy mm-hmm. who is really good. Debrell and Carroll was one of their best recruits in the last recruiting class. He's going to be a factor this year. Uh, so I think that they're, Last year, they were very good. And I think yeah. that they'll be even better this year with some more experience. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, that's the question, right? Is like, can you control games with them? that? That's tough. That's really yeah. tough. And, you know, I mean, uh, he didn't play last year, but like Tyree Thornton is a guy that I really wish was mm-hmm. back on this defense, you know, just mm-hmm. to lock down one of those corner positions. Uh, so th- there's just a, this is a long way of saying that there is a lot to be optimistic about, but the question I think does become right. Like if you can't necessarily control the tempo with your offense, the same way, mm-hmm. it's tough, right? It, it's yeah. tough. You kind of, I mean, you look at that Marshall game, like you mentioned, I mean, that wasn't a very good performance by the offense, but they forced five turnovers. That, right. That's what that was. Right. <laughs> and so I do think that this is a defense that you can trust to maybe nab you two turnovers a game. And, and I think that that can, change a lot of games and again well well i think give them a chance to be in almost every single game but i I think that there's going to be a few growing pains now again Mm -hmm. by the end of the year and and just to glance at their schedule real quick uh again you get that (laughs) first three games and that that freaking sucks at arkansas houston at texas that sucks uh then you get texas southern southern miss both i think very winnable games at utsa at uab it's tough North Texas at home is an interesting game. At Charlotte's an interesting game. Uh, Western Kentucky at home is a very interesting game. At UTEP's interesting. I, like, I mean, I, I think once you get into conference play, other than that UTSA and UAB games, which I think mm-hmm. are probably losses, I mean, everything's there for them. Like, everything's there. So, 
but yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, cause I look at a game like Western Kentucky, right? Obviously Bailey mm-hmm. Zappi, former Houston Baptist uh, quarterback, just that entire offense is over there now. Like I think they can cause Bailey Zappi issues, but like you have to score 28 points to win that game. Right. Yeah. And, yeah, and that's 100%. where I, I that's where I start being like, Ooh, I think that it's there, but I don't know. And actually, I'll, I'll jump this into a listener question from Clayton Bowling. How quickly does Luke McCaffrey become the starter for the Owls, or is it somebody else? Yeah, that's a good question. We almost went this whole segment without mentioning Luke McCaffrey. Um, I mean, as, as impressed in some instances we were with Giovanni Johnson last year, and I think by impressed, we mean he didn't mess things up a lot because <laughs> um, he really, he was, you know, the offense didn't call for him to be very aggressive and he was not very aggressive at all. I think, I mean, I think that they know that they're going to have, they're going to have to win some games a little bit more aggressively. And so it makes you wonder, like, I think he wins it coming out of fall camp. Like I really do. Like I, I, is there anyone else on this roster that you would say gives them a chance naturally just with his ability and to, to maybe lift up some guys that, you know, some skill positions that might not be there yet other than Luke McCaffrey. Well, so, so here's one thing that I'll mention, right? So Giovanni Johnson, like you mentioned, was primarily the backup when Mike Collins got hurt, which by the way, if Mike Collins was back, I'd feel a lot different about this offense, but he's not. Um, you know, Giovanni Johnson was kind of that guy. Well, the thing that I'll mention is that when we got a depth chart from Rice that's in the magazine, Giovanni Johnson wasn't first or second string on it. Mm, yeah. Oh, Wiley Green. That, yeah. yeah. Wiley yeah. Green was listed as the starter who we've seen a little bit of and what we've seen hasn't been awesome. And uh, they added a transfer from Weber State named Jake Constantine. So mm. listen, if you want it telegraphed to you that Rice does not feel okay about their quarterbacks being able to run what Marcus Tuyasasopo wants to run, it's right. adding two transfer quarterbacks, right? <laughs> yep. And the question is, I think, how much growing pains is Mike Bloomgren and Rice? How much are they willing to live with? Because mm-hmm. Luke McCaffrey listen, he did some things really well last year and he did some things extremely poorly last year, right? Sure, he put, sure. For people who don't know, uh, he played at Nebraska last year, was a, a super hyped recruit coming out, but was kind of seen as a little bit more of an athlete with maybe some quarterback upside. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he came in and won a game and then he came in and lost a game for them. And, and it was just very, very inconsistent. And, uh, you know, he ended up nominally completing 63% of his passes, but only 76 attempts, right? So, the question does become like, I think that he clearly, clearly has more upside than anybody else on the roster, but he also threw one touchdown, six interceptions last year. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you're not going to be playing against, uh, yeah, you're not going to be playing against the big 10 at least, but Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, are you willing to live with that? Yeah. I think that what they, what they see. And I think with the reason why I think he is, uh, because again, you look on paper and you're like, oh, that's interesting. You get a guy, uh, a, an athlete quarterback from a, a spread system like Scott Frost from Nebraska. And that's, you know, you ask him to probably be under center more often and play for this ball control team. It's going to be weird. I think that what they see is somebody who isn't given as much to think about 
and isn't giving. And I'm not saying this offense isn't going to be complex in some ways, but I think there are going to be more shackles on this offense, and I mean that sure. in a good way. Uh, 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 I guess bumpers, right, would be a better analogy. Yeah. Um, to where he isn't having to use his athleticism to get him out of weird situations and he has it in his back pocket, but that's not going to be his go-to, right? He's not going to be asked to roll out, try to find a guy, throw the ball up and, you know, pray something happens and throw a pick or something. He's going to be asked to go to his first read, you know, and if he's not there, go to the second check down or whatever, right? He's going to ask, they're going to be very clear reads because again, we saw this last year. They, didn't, they clearly did not trust Giovanni Johnson to make some throws. And they didn't, right? He threw like 15 passes and they were all like total for like 90 yards, right? They know how right. to slow down a quarterback who's not quite ready. And so I think what they see is if we can steer Luke McCaffrey's natural ability to simplify and to have him not worry about things, we have somebody there for when, do, when things do get hairy okay, then he has natural ability to be able to make something happen potentially. But show him the way, figure things out, and he'll get us there. Yeah, yeah. And here's one thing that I'll say too, right? Uh, To end on a little bit of a high is that, listen, the defense is going to be pretty good this year. There are going to be a couple guys cycling out at the end, but most of the defense is going to be coming back. In -hmm. fact, I I believe actually, looking at at the page now. Basically uh, everybody but Blaze Aldridge. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and even heading into 2022, right? Like, you're yeah. losing Elijah Garcia, you're losing George Nyakwal, but, like, basically everybody else is back. And, again, you get the benefit of another round of recruiting, um, mm-hmm. aging up into the program. Yeah, I think that you look at the long-term trajectory of this program, and and this is going to sound a little bit like a big it's, – it's really not. I think that it is a huge benefit and a huge blessing and a huge credit to Mike Bloomgren that I think that he still has – two or three more years before anybody really cares. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think that that is a good thing. And I'm glad that rice is likely going to give him that opportunity because you look at the fundamentals of this program. They are, I think in tremendous shape right now. Like you see the young talent come through the program. I really like long-term this decision to kind of move to a slightly more uh, open offensive style. I think it's going to be really Mm -hmm. good for the program. And I think Luke McCaffrey, when you start looking at him in, I, I think he still technically has four years of eligibility remaining, right? Yes, like, he does. I, I think that when you start looking at him in three years, and I think receiver is the one position where you do need to keep getting better, but, but like offensive line, running back, every position on defense, and then quarterback recruiting too, like there is so much to be excited about. Now, mm-hmm. the thing for me is I don't know what that means in terms of wins in the year 2021. <laughs> Right. That's a well, huge issue for me. To a little bit more of a, of a shining some some good news. Um, so SP Plus actually has actually is very, not very, a little optimistic about them, right? Mm. So they have three likely wins. It's Texas Southern, UTEP, and La, they even give them La Tech by almost 70%. Mm. Relative toss-ups, they have five. They list wow. them as five. They count Houston as a relative toss-up. They count Houston as a oh, sub so 30. It's 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 trust me, it's their version of a toss-up. So it's basically like 30% or plus. Right. So they're, at, they're at 32. So again, underdogs, but they technically still, still a lot to be at 32. Fair enough, right? Exactly. But the other toss-ups they give them, Charlotte, North Texas, Southern Miss, Western Kentucky. Those are all roughly 50%. Yeah. 
And I like, I like that basically, right? If you, if you basically say like optimistic end, right? If you're looking at best case scenario for a lot of these toss-ups, six, seven wins on the season. Yeah. Like that's not out of the realm of possibility, right? We see not those, at all. We see 50-50 games, you know, a team just completely luck out with 50-50 games, right? We saw that with Tulsa last year, right? We yeah, see, yeah. we see just like teams just get every break. And when you're a team like Rice that minimalizes mistakes, keys in on defense and keys in on methodical play, those are the type of teams that get those breaks. So I think, you know, it was all, we're still kind of, we're still in the phase of seeing what Mike Bloomgren's doing, but we like the signs. And I think that when you, the idea to zig when everyone else is zagging in the state, especially with, you know, we always talk about the the recruiting disadvantages and the academic uh, hurdles that they have to clear at Rice. I think this is building something that is sustainable in many ways. And again, we'll have to see how it comes out on the field. But I saw, I thought last year, even with all the the, the hurdles with, with COVID and cancellations, postponements, things like that. I thought that it was a big, big plus to what they were doing. Yeah. So it'll be really interesting. I, I think that there are a lot of high variance teams this year, I think, but mm. Rice is going to be up there with, I think, some of the most high variance teams. Oh my gosh. I, I, as much as I said, things can go right. Like we also see teams that just where everything goes wrong and they're probably a lot better and they come out with two or three wins, right? Like it just happens. That's just the, the nature of the sport and the nature of breaks. But um I am also on the optimistic end of that. So, yeah, yeah. It'll be a lot of fun. Now, I'm, I'm really excited to see both these teams. Like, I want to be very clear. Like, we have these teams at 12 and 11 in our college power poll, but that's kind of just because somebody had to go at 12 and 11. Right, right. right. Like, <laughs> like, I think that you look at, I, I mean, you look at Rice. I think that a couple years ago, this would have been good enough where they're at now. Would have been good enough to be at, like, seven. But, like, mm-hmm. It's just, I think everybody's kind of heading in a good direction. Obviously, UTSA, we feel like it's kind of ascended and, uh, you know, it's it's going to be weird. It's going to be really weird. And and I think that either of these teams could move up a whole lot by the end of the year. So, uh, so this is just a starting point. This is, that's all this is. Uh, and we, we welcome everybody's opportunity to prove us wrong. Everybody who listens to, to any media Dave Campbell sex football understands that, uh, that UTEP and Rice are two programs that we are not in the business of hating on. So mm-hmm. <laughs> let's close out with this. Okay. Let's close out with this. Uh, okay. Ishmael Johnson, mm-hmm. you are the 20 year old starting quarterback at Texas state university. Oh, geez. If you had the opportunity to get one endorsement. It could be local. It could be mm-hmm. national. It could be anything in between. Mm-hmm. What would you pick as the starting quarterback at Texas State University? Oh, man. To me, and this is a, this is a kind of a deep cut for my San Marcos people. It's Bobcat Quickie Tacos at Exxon. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you said yeah, me yeah. there. I, yes, I've sent you there before. It is the hidden location in the Exxon off Guadalupe. And it's right next to Torchies, so everybody's distracted by Torchies and all that. But there's one spot that's open till past 2 a.m. That is the most clutch spot. So I'm going to go with them because they not, not only would I benefit from, obviously, you know, getting, getting, getting tacos, but I, I want to it's – a, it's a business that I would not mind. You know, they might not be the most profitable, quote-unquote profitable for me, but – I wouldn't mind getting them more prominence. And if I was the starting quarterback, I would not mind boosting up their revenue, boosting up their 
uh, notoriety. So Bobcat Quickie in San Marcos. <laughs> so what I'm hearing right now is that Ishmael Johnson, 20 year old, is boosting up Exxon Mobil. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't I don't know about all that, but listen, you do. You, you. know, me and Rex Tillerson have always been <laughs> have always been tight. <laughs> That's what I've heard. That's what I've definitely heard. Uh, I did ask Mallory this. So Mallory's not on this show because we are yeah. doing this over Zoom. But I did ask her this. Uh, she, of course, the first female starting quarterback at North Texas. In, yeah, uh, big, in big, big. Uh, there's a uh, the world is so ocean when it comes to endorsements. Yeah, just her and Sarah Fuller just teaming up. It's awesome. But uh, right. she, <laughs> so she pointed out Lava Cant- uh, Cantina in the Colony, which is a live music and and restaurant venues. Ah. So. Okay. She's a. She says she's a big dancer, uh, and that it's yeah. a, a big name restaurant kind of in that area. So she basically nice. want to go and kind of just be able to be the face of the party. I think is what it comes down to, right? So, nice. Which, yeah. Which I think uh, I, I think that fits Mallory pretty well. I think that. Fits All right, Shahan. Well. So oh. starting quarterback in Baylor. What are your endorsements, <laughs> and why is it Magnolia? It is absolutely not Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will say. I will say. Right. Like, I was trying to think if there's like any like a store or something like that because obviously the immediate thought is to go restaurant right like right, i think right. i think that's sort of the the obvious thing so so here, here's what i'm gonna do right like this is very much like a me this is not like a, a me saying this is the best food this is just where i went all the time right there's this okay. there's this breakfast place called cafe cappuccino on sixth street in waco and <laughs> it, it again it's very good they have giant pancakes that's kind of their big thing okay. and I want, I mean, it was just one of those places I went to every week. So I'd love to just have them have a table pulled aside so that whenever I got there, I wouldn't have to wait for everybody else to go. Uh, And and listen, I'm more of a coffee and breakfast food person. I'm not, listen, I'm not Mallory. I'm not, I'm not the face of the party. I do not want to be that, but, uh, (laughs) but no, I I think that that would, that would probably be my, my first call. And that's, again, it's, it's one of those places that just like also has sentimental value. The other place that I'll mention is is this place Shorty's in Waco, which is a a pizza place. Which which I think you know, listen, every every college town has their pizza place. That one's fine. Oh, 100 <laughs> percent. Well, this has been fun. Uh, yeah, man, we are we're getting close. I'll tell you what. The weird thing about vacation is coming back and being like, I have things planned next week. Like right next week is big 12 media days so so actually just a programming note so issues on vacation through tuesday i am Mm -hmm. off to big 12 media days on wednesday so actually me and mallory are going to be coming at you next week previewing the other two conference usa schools in texas north texas and utsa so look forward to that but for ishmael johnson i'm shahan jayaraja please Find all work at textfootball.com. Find us on Facebook, Dave Campbell's Text Football. Find us on Twitter at DCTSDFB. Become a subscriber at textfootball.com slash subscribe. Ish, anything else? Uh, Suns in four. (laughs) Suns in four. And with that, we'll see you guys again next week.